Hi, and welcome to the Sage's Cabin podcast. I'm your host, Rox Madeira. So grab a cup of tea and come and join me in the Sage's Cabin as we chat about everything from herbal gardening, herbal medicine, movement practices, wild food, postnatal, and just general well-being. So today I'm talking to Robin from the Koji Kitchen and Robin will be at the Scottish Wild Food Festival in September um, and he's going to be talking all about miso koji fermented foods so please come along it's going to be such a good workshop and I really hope you enjoyed this podcast it was super interesting. Tell me a little bit about who you are, what you do, and yeah, how you kind of came up with the whole idea of what you do. Um, yes. Okay. So, hi, I'm I'm Robin. I run a company called the Koji Kitchen out in in Roslyn, just south of Edinburgh. Now, um, Koji Kitchen um, predominantly creates a, a fermented product called koji now this is most basically it's a moldy rice so it's a rice that's been inoculated with a specific type of fungus which grows through it and it forms things called enzymes but i'll go into more of them later on but effectively this serves as the basis for all forms of japanese ferments so this ranges from sake to mirin to rice wine vinegar to soy sauce to tamari to miso a whole host of different ferments and pretty much everything east of India, all of the fermented products come from this basis. Um, now, I sort of got this idea to, to start producing this because currently I'm the only producer in Scotland um, because I moved to Japan in 2019 to study Japanese whiskey. I know it was a, it was, it was a really <laughs> tough, tough piece of academic research. Um, but I uh, studied some sake while I was there. And sake, as I said, is the, the basis of it is, is koji. And anyone who works or has worked in Western food dogma will look at moldy rice that you've been leaving out at 30 degrees in a humid environment for uh, two and a half days. And you'll go, you'll run away screaming because that scream, yeah, it screams food poisoning. But um, afterwards, uh, I spoke to the, the head of the head brewer and the owner of the sake brewery, and he explained what koji was, how it functions, and uh, what it can be used for. So came back from that and um, opened the koji kitchen to supply this product to customers across the UK and restaurants. And I also travel across the UK and teach teach fermentation techniques, and I consult restaurants on the the same topic so that's that's sort of 101 what the koji kitchen is and what i do that's, that's really interesting i didn't realize that um like things like tamari and stuff come from rice actually yeah um, i mean it's a mixture I, I am oversimplifying it to some extent but um that's the sort of fermentation engine that's what the koji does but the substrate of something like tamari or miso is actually soybeans so it's a mixture yeah yeah, yeah. okay Okay, cool. And uh, am I right in thinking that you sell kits as well? Yeah, so 
One of the one of the products I sell is actually yeah, it's a miso making kit. It's a cute little box that contains um, everything you need to make your own miso. So that's uh, the koji, that's soybeans and uh, salt, and a little recipe booklet as well. Yeah, well. And so, can you tell us more about like the ins and outs of koji and the benefits of it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I briefly mentioned how it's an enzymatic based fermentation, and that's what we're looking for. So. The whole reason we're going through this process of meticulously growing a mold on rice is that when you, when the mold undergoes this process of growth, it produces these things called enzymes. And these basically serve as a biological key to unlock. Now, what that means is it breaks down larger biological molecules into smaller ones. Now, I recognize this is getting a bit scientific, but we'll, we'll bring it back. Don't worry. Um, now, there's two predominant enzymes that we're interested in. This is um, protease and amylase. Now, amylase is what sake brewers are interested in. This breaks down starches into sugars. Then you can use those sugars as fuel for yeast and create alcohol. But there's also a thing called protease. And what that does is it breaks down large proteins into things called amino acids and glutamates. Glutamate, you may sort of remember from monosodium glutamate, everyone's favorite chemical to help, but help hate, but it is actually a naturally occurring molecule. And what that means is by utilizing these enzymes with other substrates, be that beans, be that whatever you're, you're mixing it with, it breaks down those protein components into these glutamates and amino acids, uh, which creates that really strong, intense umami flavor. And then you can utilize that amylase to break down your starches into sugars to create interesting sweet and aromatic flavors so that's what the koji does essentially but in the case of a miso it's not just it's enzymatic fermentation it's also bacterial and yeast fermentation that's why i'm so interested in it because it's everything in one because once you um have utilized these enzymes you break them down into these sugars and amino acids that i mentioned they're they have a component they have a quality in them called bioavailability which means they're much easier for organisms to metabolize. So that means your bacteria can get involved in the party during the fermentation process, and then they can further break those down. They can produce other, other um, elements, just acidic elements like lacto-fermentation. That's the sort of sour flavor you get from a kimchi or a sauerkraut. And then further on the fermentation, you can get things called halophilic or salt-tolerant yeasts, and they start to produce aromatics and really interesting components that way. But I suppose when you want to talk about beyond just flavor and why miso and tamari taste amazing, because they do, um, and you can start to talk about the health benefits of it. Now, one of the things is because this is all very bioavailable material, it means your gut doesn't have to work as hard to digest it. And you're basically introducing a whole load of, a whole load of material that your gut microbiome can very easily metabolize and consume. So you're providing like a supercharged fuel for for your gut microbiome and you're stopping your body from having to work really really hard to digest complex starches so that's sort of the overview of the flavor benefits and the, the health benefits of, of koji and koji derived products that's really interesting um so is it is it quite easy to actually make well like, yeah um it's it's one of these things that it's um quite it's quite simple to explain and simple to do and very very hard to master there's like there's people who have been making mastering miso for their whole lives in japan yeah. same with tamari same with all of these products but 
ostensibly, when you're looking at something like a miso, it is a mixture of your koji component, your protein substrate, and your salt. So your protein substrate, in most cases, is soybeans. And you mix these at different quantities and different uh, ratios, and that forms the basis for different misos. So what one of the most common misos you'll find is a shiro miso or a white miso. That's, um, that's one of the ones that um, I, I make quite regularly. And that's a high proportion of koji and a lower proportion of salt comparative to the beans or your protein component. Now, the reason you're doing that is you're introducing a whole load of starch straight away from, from the koji component. That breaks down to sugar and that accelerates the fermentation. So everything happens really, really quickly. So you're ready in about six weeks. Um, and it produces quite a sweet flavor alongside that umami note. If you're making a much older fermented misos, that's um, a much higher salt component, much higher protein component in, retro, in, in the ratio to the, to the koji. That means there's less available sugar, which slows down the whole, whole fermentation process and it allows that protease to really break down the proteins within the, the soybeans or your protein component. And that means you get these way more complex umami forward flavors. Now, if anyone's had a, the, 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 a white miso compared to a red miso, you'll see they're quite radically different products. One's not better than the other. They're just very different. So, yeah, when you look at it that way, yes, the whole the concept of miso are quite simple to understand and execute. But the nuance of it is is very hard to master. And does, is this, does the salt get? Like taken away or does, is it still coming I mean, it doesn't taste you know it doesn't taste more salty if you've got a, a darker miso does it uh, yeah it's, it's one of these interesting things because i mean it is the salt is in there it doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't get broken down it doesn't get removed um and i mean when you're talking about one a dark red miso or you know a hatchel miso or one of these really old ones they they can go up to like 18 percent salt it's a very salty food but what I suspect is when the salt flavor um, almost synergizes with these bioavailable protein, metabolized protein um, molecules, it interacts with your sort of your sense of taste and makes it, it make, makes you experience it as a less salty flavor. Um, but that, that's my that's kind of a hot take there. I, <laughs> I don't have evidence to back that one up, but it is a common thing that people just people don't feel that miso is as salty but if you were to have a similar food with 18 percent salt it would come across as very salty yeah interesting but i suppose as well i guess i mean we're not talking about like table salt here obviously we're talking about like proper salt that and your body kind of needs some some salt and the minerals from it anyway so because uh, i know people are, everybody's always a bit like oh salt a bit scared of it yeah um there's actually, and yeah, you would you would always try to use a uh, high quality salt because again, when you're thinking about it, it's you've got three ingredients, so you want to make sure that they're all pretty good quality. Yeah. Um. But yeah, people do have this sort of hangover fear of of salt. Um. But that was actually mostly dispelled. There was a really there's a really good scientific paper called the Wrong White Powder, and it talks about how we've all, we've been demonizing salt for a very long time. It's not actually that bad for you. The thing that's bad is 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 sugar. That's what's really doing the damage. And just um, having highly refined sugar through things like fizzy drinks, um, there there and and ready meals. That that's the thing that's really causing the damage, not the salt, yeah. uh, which I find is quite interesting. All the does it did that talk about like 
um, highly refined salt as well? Because I don't think that's the same product, is it? You know, it's no, highly salt and rock salt. Highly refined salt is iodinized and it has other anti-caking components in it, which are not great. Um, <laughs> now, um, there is there is some reason that there is iodinized salt, um, because I think it I think it stops rickets from happening. But uh, in the sort of modern world where people have like fairly robust diets, it's just not necessary. And sort of um, negatives far outweigh the the benefits of it. But yes, highly refined salt has basically extra stuff in it that isn't just salt and not natural mineral mineral components, which add an, an additional flavor element. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Can you, do you have any more information about like the history of um, like Koji and in in Japan? Because they've been doing it for yeah. a really long time, haven't they? Yeah, the domestication of Koji goes back about 2000 years. Now, it's not actually an exclusively Japanese thing. Um, now, the the mold we're looking at predominantly uses a thing called Aspergillus arise. Although there's other Aspergillus species for more specific, um, more specific applications, but that's the one we're most commonly looking at. Now, the history dates back to actually, it dates back to China, where uh, basically someone worked out that if you leave cooked soybeans and wrap them in rice bran, where that's where Aspergillus naturally lives in the wild, and um, sometimes it will inoculate it, do some funky stuff to the soybeans and they'll taste good. Um, the same way all, all of these things were discovered. Um, but originally there was these things called jangs, and these were basically a wild fermented form of proto-miso. Um, so this was, you'd have mashed up bits of fish and beans, and they'd be put in blocks and wrapped in uh, rice bran, and then they'd be preserved that way. Um, but then these sort of spread out from China, and then that's when you get, um, in, in Korea, you get things like a a <clears throat> sorry, like a gochujang, and then in Sichuan region in southern China, you get dobanjang, and then you get meju blocks as well, which are sort of a form of solid miso. And then when you go further down, you get sort of these uh, interesting ketchup precursors, which were also like a very thick soy sauce. And then when you go to Japan, they really sort of refined the process down and took these um, more wild ferments and very and sought to domesticate the 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 mold so it could basically give the same results every time and then that's where you started to get your um, your misos and your tamaris and your soy sauces more formally now the reason miso became some so synonymous with Jap japan and japanese culture is you basically had this period every country kind of goes through this period where it's like all right all right guys let's just fight ourselves for a while and um, like you know every country goes through a civil war stage but in japan it was called the sengoku jedai or the warring states period um, and this is where all of those sort of legendary stories about samurai, they all come up. But one of the things that was a standard issue piece of kit for samurai soldiers was a little bag full of things called misodama. And what these are is little dried balls of miso. And you would carry them around because um, if you needed, needed food on the go, you could just nibble on one. Or if you had access to hot water, you could make an instant soup. And then as a result of that, miso really proliferated into Japanese culture and became very commonly used. I think the, um, the average consumption of miso in Japan is two and a half bowls per day. Um, now, then, then you have sort of your offshoots like, um, like uh, <coughs> excuse me, like tamari. Tamari is actually technically a type of miso. It's very interesting. So 
when during the miso making process, miso fermentation process, um, a lot of the components go through a process called liquefaction. And this is when they break down into a liquid. Now, when you have miso, that liquid will come off and it looks like a sort of brown liquid. Now, if you're making it at home, you'll generally just mix this in. But if you're making a big, huge batch, you get quite a lot of this liquid. So you can strain it off and use it as in its own right. And that's generally like a thick, sweet sauce. Um, and then during, um, I think, I, I don't have my reference book right now, but I think it was sort of around Middle Ages Japan uh, in Kyoto. <clears throat> they had a, a type of miso fermenter that was almost like, it looked like a big donut, you know, like a barrel with a chimney in the middle. And that's what they would make their miso in. And as a result of that, in the, the central chimney was made out of different slats. Um, and the liquid from the miso would run through these slats, go into this sort of chimney and then come out the bottom. And over time, uh, the people who were making it were like, yeah, this tamari stuff, this is, uh, this is the jam. We want to be making this. So then they specialized in this. And now that process has become refined in its own right. So now you have specific tamari producers and they make it on a brining method rather than the solid state method or paste method like a miso. And then when you have things like soy sauce or shoyu, as it would be in Japan, that has um, cracked wheat in it as well, which is why soy sauce and, and, and shoyu aren't gluten-free because it's, um, it's a mixture of cracked wheat and soybeans rather than rice and soybeans or just soybeans on their own. So that's a little bit about the um, the history and how it proliferated and how it became specialised in Japan, I suppose. That's, that's really interesting because, like, I don't know, I just find fermented foods just really fascinating. It's just something that it's just... Know, which is really interesting um so you're you are going to be at the wild food scottish wild food festival in september so i wonder if you could just tell us about um what you'll be doing there yes i i will be there um with a number of my wonderful fermented colleagues uh the fantastic ruth monroe of edinburgh fermentarium and Ben Reed of Company Bakery. Uh, there's going to be quite a number of us uh, weird microbe lovers there. Um, but yes, I I will be doing a miso making class, and what this will involve is I'll talk a little bit about how miso functions, how koji functions, why we want to use them, why what we can use them for beyond just simple miso. Then I'm going to do a demonstration, show everyone how you make how you make miso up front, and then I'm going to ask people to come along and. Uh, make their own and take home take home a jar of miso that they made themselves and that's 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 what i'm planning to do and spread the good word of fermentation and the good word of miso yeah that's actually good um so hopefully lots of people will book up and come to your workshop and um can you just tell people like how they can actually contact you like websites and uh social media and all that kind of stuff Absolutely. Um, so I do have a website and that's um, the kojikitchen.com and that's koji is K-O-J-I, Kilo Oscar Julia Indigo, I think. Um, now, I also have an Instagram. That's where I'm most active. That's where you can easily get hold of me. And that's at the koji kitchen um, dot. Uh, at, sorry, at the koji kitchen. Or did I change it to at koji kitchen? I should probably know my own social handles um that would be a good idea robin yeah it's at the koji kitchen um spell the same spelling but that's where i'm most active that's where i post stories about what i'm doing what i'm making and yeah anyone who contacts me on it i will respond i will talk to you because i love talking about fermentation that's really good um 
that's fab. Thank you so much for talking with me. And I look forward to seeing you at the festival. That is no problem. And it was an absolute pleasure. <laughs>